0: One of the great untold legends of the American South is the lonesome tale of Buck Harp. Buck is a spirit of vengeance, born from the pain and misery of watching his whole family lynched by the Ku Klux Klan. He struck a deal with the devil as a way to set things right. Ever since his death, Buck Harp has prowled the night. He makes coffins from the wood of lynching trees and binds them with blooded ropes. He finds those responsible for inflicting the savagery of racial animus, hate crimes, murders, rapes, assaults. And he seals the guilty in a coffin, burying them alive on his ghostly farm where they are eternally trapped, but where they never die. Over the decades, Buck's fields have become full, hundreds upon hundreds of graves, each marked with a cross made of sticks and topped with a hood. The masks of the KKK are now trophies for their suffering. Buck Harp is pure Gothic Americana, a slice of history that continues to live and breathe to this very day. He's a villain to some, who still fear that he will come to take them away and bury them deep. He's an anti-hero to others, a bad man who guards the door from other bad men. But to a few, including a teenage boy named Graydon Jones, Buck Harp was a hero. He did the things no one else could or would do, because someone had to. As young Graydon wrapped up his walking tour of the Deep South, he had one last stop to make. He wanted to track down the legendary farm where Buck Harp planted his human crops. Graydon needed to meet the man behind the myth. He wanted to shake hands with the devil's best friend, to give him a bottle of whiskey, and to ask about the answer to a family mystery. But how can you find a man who died over a hundred years ago? Or a place that doesn't want to be found. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem. Killers, cannibals, and cults. Fearful fiction and furious fact. Tall tales and terrifying truths. This is A Scary Home Companion. To truly understand Graydon Jones, you need to understand his family. This is a bloodline that runs all the way across the ocean to the motherland some 250 years ago. In Africa, the family had a different name, one ancient and revered, also one that they left at the shore when they came to the New World. To sum it up briefly, this was a family of historians. They documented the bits and pieces of history not otherwise recorded in books or kept in libraries. Gathering oral histories, capturing important moments, leaving a record of the people who didn't leave records. Oh yes, there was a grander purpose involved. But that's beside the point right now. In the newly formed United States, the family changed their name to Jones, after following the horrific Middle Passage, just so they could document the shadow history of their brothers and sisters being kept in chains. The Jones family had many unique traditions that they followed religiously. Such as, all of the males being named Graydon. Such as, the studious transcription of all African American history and folklore. Such as, the walkabout. Like many native and aboriginal tribes, the Jones bloodline had always encouraged their teenage boys to strike out on their own. Even on this new continent, the tradition continued. Perhaps now it was more important than ever before. On a walkabout, the young Jones man set out into the world alone, following their own internal compass to write of their journey and add to the vast collection of journals and diaries. This was not mandatory But in order to become a respected member of the family, it was something that every Graydon Jones had to do. Our generation's Graydon Jones, the Graydon Jones that is the focus of today's tale, had experienced a walkabout for the ages. He left home in the year 2001, shortly after turning 16. Didn't have much money no vehicle, no ID, but he did have a plan. He'd been reading his father's old journals for years just to get a blueprint of where to go, what to do, and what places to avoid. But as the saying goes, if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Graydon was not on the road in his walkabout for very long before fate intervened in the form of a serial killer and anthropologist named Neil Wallace, the specs. Graydon was partially eviscerated, his guts pulled out and knotted together with those of another victim, another 16-year-old, one named Terry Smith. These two boys survived, somehow, and forged a bond that went far deeper than blood kin. Together, they proceeded on the walkabout for some time as Graydon filled up more than one journal. They encountered the DRO, the church of a snake cult a cannibal hog farmer, and a swamp village filled with the descendants of an army of circus freaks and many other adventures. The truth is that while the exploits of Graydon Jones' teenage walkabout and his friendship with Terry Smith have been well-documented on this show, that doesn't mean that it has been fully documented. When the two young men parted ways, Graydon still had a few things left that he wanted to see and to do. One in particular was of great personal importance to him, but it had to be done alone. He was going to find Buck Harp, but tracking down a ghost is easier said than done. More than one previous Graydon Jones had dug deep into the history of Buckharp. They'd tracked down all written documents, even a few first-hand accounts, not that there were many. Nothing seemed to match up, not when it came to the specific place. The people matched and the time frame matched, but not the place. It was as if... Buck's old farm simply wasn't there anymore, and there was no sign it ever had been. The only real starting point Graydon could lock down was at the top of Stone Mountain, Georgia. It was one of the few places that recurred throughout decades of rumor and anecdote. This is, of course, the place where the second iteration of the Ku Klux Klan was formed. After bringing so many clansmen to justice since his death, Buck was outraged at the audacity of these white men to reform a stronger and more sadistic version of the Klan. Which is why since then, Buck always made sure that the wails of his buried victims would carry on the night winds and could be heard from the top of Stone Mountain. So the story went, anyway. Come midnight, Graydon made the long, solitary climb to the top, where he sat facing the moon, eyes closed, and he listened. At first, all was still, and quiet, just the distant sounds of traffic. As the night wore on, the breeze started to pick up. And that's when he heard it. Muffled, mumbled, interred somewhere far away. But he heard it all the same. Hundreds of cries and moans begging for release, blending together into an audible fog, a cacophony of woe filtered through graveyard dirt. He made notes for hours, jotting down directions, wind speeds, even making sketches of the viewpoints and noting landmarks. The following night, he went back to the top of Stone Mountain and did it all again. At this point, Graydon was on the vampire schedule. Up all night, sleep all day, eat when he could, stick to the shadows. After three nights of research, he felt it was time to leave Stone Mountain behind and make a go of it. He had drawn several maps, written down scores of notes and things to look for. So he started walking, trying to do what his father never could. In all the journals, through all his own research, Graydon's father had never been able to find that ghostly farm. He had never gotten to ask the question that he wanted to ask so desperately. One detail Graydon had picked up from the journals was that Buck only came and went to do his work at night. Graydon surmised that might mean the place was only accessible at night. It was guesswork, but it felt right. After all, Graydon did have some experience with such things. He had studied about ley lines and breaches. He understood the concept of how some places absorbed energy and emotion as a kind of magic. Not the magic wands and spells and such, just the way that people, places, and things could become something more and bend reality as we understand it. All of his life, Graydon had access to the archive this otherworldly library, this magnificent collection of the human experience in written form. The archive could not be explained by traditional science, and only a handful of people even knew of its existence, and yet it was very real. The Heruspex who abducted Graydon believed in another such place, a Hellish island on a vast black ocean that existed parallel to our own world, yet not a part of it. Other dimensions, little pockets of reality that brushed against our own. And all Graydon was trying to do was find one of those intersection points. He searched, he walked for several nights on end, sticking entirely to narrow dirt roads flanked by trees, looking for old wooden gates and arches crawling with kudzu vines. Most importantly, he was looking for what he found on night five, fresh hoof prints in the damp orange earth followed by the distinct ruts of wooden wagon wheels. Graydon followed these ruts back away from the road and found a long wooden fence with a high-topped gate, one dripping with vines. He pushed the gate open and gazed upon the weeping field of crosses and hoods. quarter-mile under a slate-gray sky, following the rows upon rows of ruts in the clay and earth. The graveyard seemed endless, and that horrible sound he had picked up on the wind at the top of Stone Mountain, here it was a subsonic hum that reverberated through the soles of his shoes The entire farm was buzzing with the persistent cries of the damned. Even though he knew who the buried people were and knew what they must have done to wind up here, it was still deeply disturbing to Graydon. It's one thing to read about, another thing to experience firsthand. The ruts in the ground turned. Onto a straight and narrow path leading through the grave markers toward an old farmhouse. Behind it stood a barn with doors wide open. Graydon stopped a respectful distance away, waiting, being patient, and more than a little apprehensive, if we're being honest. Am I really here? Is this really happening? And then, old Buck Harp emerged from that barn. He was wearing overalls and a work shirt, mopping his brow with a red rag. He stopped and stared at Graydon. And the young man saw that they shared the same quizzical look. Is he really here? Is this really happening? Buck tucked his rag away. He was a big man, dark skin and wide shoulders, head bald, neck ringed with rope burns. He started to walk towards his visitor with brow furrowed and chin lowered. Mr. Harp, sir, my name is Graydon. Graydon Jones, I don't suppose you've heard of me. No, I know I'm probably not welcome here. I certainly wasn't invited, but I came because I wanted to say thank you and to give you something. Graydon reached into his bag and pulled out a bottle of whiskey. Spirits for the spirit. I don't know why I said that. I think I'm just... A little terrified, is a fair way to put it. For several weeks, Graydon had been carrying that bottle of moonshine in his satchel, amidst his notepads and pencils. It had been handcrafted and distilled by the Twee family, who vouched for its flavor and firepower. Graydon had left it sealed. It was a gift, after all. Buck Harp stood in front of Graydon, filling up his entire line of sight, even when the young man tipped his head back. Buck took the bottle out of Graydon's hand, then turned around and walked away. Halfway back to the barn, he looked over his shoulder and made a motion with his hand. Come with me. Graydon followed him into the big, cavernous barn, where a new coffin was under construction. The walls on either side were adorned with old-timey woodcrafting and farming tools hung on wooden pegs. There were also some shelves, one of which caught Graydon's eye. There were a few old glass mason jars on the lowest shelf, snuggled in shadow, and it appeared that inside one of them was something glittering green and slug-like. In the back corner of the barn sat some handmade wooden furniture. Buck picked up two chairs with one hand and used the neck of the whiskey bottle To point at a third Graydon picked it up and followed Buck out the back door to the edge of a fire pit Buck built a fire and they sat down beside it with the third empty chair sitting across from them waiting for someone else to join Buck popped the cork from the bottleneck and drank deep he swished it around his mouth, nodding ever so slightly, before handing the bottle to Graydon. Although his brain was saying, No, thank you, I don't drink. His mouth was saying, Thank you, I'd love a drink. And his hand was bringing the bottle to his mouth. They passed it back and forth a few times. No words, just the endless moan of the buried and the crackle of the fire. It lit up their faces jack-o'-lantern orange and gave the liquor in the bottle a fuzzy blue glow. Graydon reached for the bottle. Buck saw the wavering of his hand and shook his head, as if to say, nah, you've had enough. Buck took another deep drink and then set the bottle down, now half-empty, on the empty chair. Graydon looked up and around. There was only shadow and soft, humid wind outside of this tiny circle of firelight. No moon or stars above, just a veil of darkness. And then Graydon looked to his host— And he saw a man who looked content. There was no other way to say it. In the middle of a white power graveyard, this man seemed satisfied. Any other time, any other time, Graydon would have grabbed a notepad and started scribbling it all down. But not now. Not this time. First of all, it might have come across as rude to his host. Moreover, Graydon didn't want to take away from the moment by documenting it. That required making a mental step away for clarity. In this moment, it was too special to step away from. What is this, he asked himself. When will anything like this ever happen to me again? And then he found himself talking, shattering their comfortable silence with booze-soaked questions, to which Buck responded, not at all. Can you talk? Nothing. Do you have to eat or drink or sleep? How does that work? Nada. I can feel there's wind, but there's no weather. Is there ever weather here? No dice. Are there seasons? Do do seasons pass? Bukus. I've heard that the devil annexed a piece of Georgia into hell. And that's where we are. Science says it's a pocket dimension. No answer. But then again, that wasn't really a question, now was it? I'm just trying to wrap my head around all this. I always believed in you, I did, but now that I'm here? Is there anything that you can tell me? Buck? picked up the bottle, and handed it to Graydon, as if to say, "'Shut the fuck up already.'" Graydon took another drink, but kept on talking. He found it was the best way to drown out the oppressive sounds of the farm around him. "'Mr. Harp, I'm sorry I'm bugging you. I really am. I've got a lot more questions.' But that's not the real reason I'm here. I wanted to say thank you. Really, I I mean it. What you do is important to me and a lot of other people. You stand up for us. You stood up for us when no one else would. And we still need you, Mr. Hart. I don't know if it's the devil's work... But it sure feels like the Lord's work to me. Oh me, oh my, my ears are burning, said a voice from across the fire. From the third chair, which was now full, the devil had come to take his seat. devil isn't like what they say in church, or in the funny papers. No horns, no claws, no bifurcated tail, no hellfire, no brimstone. Just a sharp suit, black and salmon, shiny, narrow-toed shoes, slick and stylish, spick and span, pocket watch chain dangling from his vest. Bloody red rubies in his cufflinks, a jet black diamond in his stick pin. He looked fresh off a first class train from Kansas City, and had about him the faint aroma of lily of the valley. The devil leaned back in the chair, crossing his legs at the knee, popping his ankle cuffs to reveal salmon shaded silk socks. In his hand, inexplicably, was a crystal-cut old-fashioned glass, into which he poured three fingers of moonshine. He took a little sip, and then licked his thin lips, snagging a stray droplet from the corner of his pencil-thin mustache. This is a twee whiskey, is it not? Graydon nodded. I like you already, young blood. My name is Oh, I know who you are. You're Graydon Jones, son of Graydon Jones, grandson of Graydon Jones, great grandson of Graydon Jones, and so on, and so forth. I could continue, but those are the only ones I've met personally at least on this side of the ocean. I always like to introduce myself to the most interesting players in the game in any given era. So, it's a pleasure to meet you, young man. The devil pulled off a salmon-hued glove and extended his hand over the top of the crackling fire. His fingers were long. His manicure... Immaculate, Graydon leaned forward but hesitated until Buck smacked him on the shoulder. And then Graydon reached over the fire, tongues of flame lapping at his wrist and shook hands with the devil. I didn't just agree to anything, did I? He asked rubbing his singed wrist. The devil laughed, and Buck grinned. When the muscles pulled up on the corners of his cheeks, it gave Buck an eerie parallel, with the smile matching the curvature of the pink scars under his chin. No, young blood, you didn't. My days of being a trickster are in the past. Ask my friend here if I sold him a bill of goods. There's no need for tricks anymore, Mr. Jones. Sin sells itself. Evil men race one another to beat a path to my front door. My only real problem in all this is not having enough capacity. Well, I just thought you showing up right when I was here, maybe you'd come for me. That's called happenstance, which is common in your family and always has been. Funny how that works. No, I'm here tonight for a drink and a jar. The devil sipped his whiskey. Graydon mentally regrouped and then said, It's a pleasure to meet you too. You said you met my father? "'I did? "'Unlike you, "'he didn't know whose hand he was shaking. "'He was a good man. "'He still is,' Graydon said, "'with no small trace of pride in his voice. "'The devil finished his drink, "'leaving not a speck behind. "'And then that glass vanished "'just as mysteriously as it had appeared. Thanks for the drink. Now for my jar. Buck, do you mind? Buck rolled his eyes in response and hooked a thumb over his shoulder towards the barn. No, it's okay, I'll get it, Graydon said. He stood up, and the booze-soaked night wavered and swam. From his sudden change in altitude, Buck reached out and grabbed his wrist to hold him steady. Graydon staggered through the back door to that sunken shelf lined with jars and picked up the only one that wasn't empty. There was a, a black lump inside. Moist. Peppered with coarse green crystals that sparkled when the thing moved, Graydon grabbed the jar, and the slug inside it oozed to the glass closest to his hand. He could feel a a current running through it, almost as if the damn thing was vibrating. When he returned to the fireside, Graydon found the devil rolling a cigarette. He handed it to Buck, who tucked it behind his ear and then pointed at Gray. Thanks, young blood, said the devil, and took the jar. It looked as if it pained him to touch it, but he hid it well. We can't bury these things here. They poison whatever they touch. We just can't have them on this farm. The devil didn't leave. He didn't walk away weaving through the grave markers. The fire just snapped and crackled. The flames jumping and grabbing at the wind. And then the third chair was empty again. Buck took a drink, then handed the bottle to Graydon, who took one last little sip, this one for courage. Mr. Harp, I'd be lying by omission if I didn't say something. I came here for the reasons that I said, but there is one more. My family can't answer every question. We have... Most of them figured out, but some mysteries persist, and I needed to ask you about one of my kin, my uncle, my father's oldest brother, also named Graydon Jones. In 1992, he went missing. He was out in Los Angeles during those riots. Uncle Gray went out there to watch and take notes like we always do, but he never came back. My father, he always said that his brother must have seen something he shouldn't have, and he believed that the cops, the LAPD, did something to Uncle Gray. My dad could never prove it. He spent a long time digging into those cops and He narrowed it down to one in particular. He he really got obsessed with this guy. He thought he was the answer to whatever had happened. The only problem was that cop went missing a few months later. No trace of him. He just vanished. Same as my uncle. My dad thought he... uh, He wanted to believe that his brother had been avenged. He wanted to believe that whatever had happened out there in L.A., that you had made it right. I know you don't like my questions. I know you haven't answered a damn one of them yet. But still, I have to ask. Do you know what happened to my uncle? Buck sagged in his chair. He took another drink, just a nip, for courage. Then, with a dramatic sigh, he stood up and stomped off into the graveyard, waiting for Graydon to follow him. They walked across the graves. Graydon could feel the buried victims pounding and scratching against the coffin lids six feet below. He thought he could hear some of them calling his name. After a few minutes, they stopped walking in a far distant wing of the field, not too far away from one of those kudzu-draped fences. Buck pointed at a cross made of wooden sticks, but one that was not adorned with a clan hood like all the others. This one had a different kind of trophy, tied with twine to the crux of the grave marker. A dusty golden badge. L.A.P.D. In this instance, no different from a clan hood. Graydon knelt down and put his ear to the ground.
1: Help me. I'm
0: sorry. I'm so sorry. Graydon got back to his feet. He looked at Buck and nodded. Thank you, he said. They went back to the fireside. Buck tended the fire as they finished the bottle. Graydon's heavy lids began to flutter, and he watched Buck pull that cigarette from back behind his ear and light it up. There was a face in the smoke Exhaled by Buck, a face that Graydon had never seen before, and yet immediately he knew their name. And then came sleep. When Graydon opened his eyes, the blank sky above was a soft baby blue. The other two chairs were empty the fire pit filled with cinders and ash. He heard hoofbeats, heavy on the soft earth. Buck Harp was riding away from the farmhouse. His wagon was laden with that freshly built coffin and drawn by two black stallions. He went through the graveyard, onto the passing road, and then... He was gone, not ever looking back. Graydon packed up his satchel and walked after him. He didn't look back either. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. For more stories about Buck Harp, check out Up Jump the Devil and Home to Roost. You can find A Scary Home Companion on social media or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Write us directly at Companion at gmail.com or Support us with our Patreon page. You get tons of bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes analysis videos. Coming soon, you get a copy of the new Scary Home Companion book. Bedtime stories for weird kids. Free autographed copies for patrons. Join Sydney, Imani, Catherine, Andy, Monica, Ashley, Carol, Eric, Kevin... And the best horror fans in the world on Patreon. This episode was edited and produced by Jeff Davidson. It featured the music Hard Work by Light Saturation and three tunes by the mighty, mighty Lobo Loco. Back to Eden, always for you, and following mysterious traces.